0: super talk mississippi media production in the mississippi legislature senate bill 2145 funds health care for illegal immigrants call your legislator today at 601-359-3770 ask them to stop senate bill 2145 it's not too late you can help stop this paid for by building america's future
1: i'm steve azar and i'm on the other side of the microphone In a Mississippi Minute hey everybody, I'm Steve Azar. You're in a Mississippi Minute with a dear, dear friend of mine I met years ago. Uh, obviously grew up watching him play ball. Uh, the bad boy of the NFL and one of the biggest hearts I've ever seen, the great Hall of Famer Jim McMahon. Jimmy Mack, how you doing? What do you say there, Steve-O? Thank you. It's good to have you. you in Scottsdale? I'm actually
2: in Vegas right now. Oh, uh we have our opening night of our show tonight. I've been here all week rehearsing, and um, it goes uh, four nights a week all, all the way through April. So wait, 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 we, what show? Uh, what are we doing? We've got a little talk show called Renegades.
1: Get out of here. It's, Tell me about it.
2: Yeah, it's going to be at Caesars Palace at the uh, Cleopatra's Barge, and it's with uh, Jose Canseco, myself, and Terrell Owens. We're the uh, original uh, Renegades for the first uh, run of the show. And, uh, we're just going to be telling stories and, uh, you know, hopefully people will enjoy what they
1: hear. Well, they're going to hear a lot of it here, but there's no doubt. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And you love Vegas. Vegas loves you. So, uh, it'd be good, right?
2: Yeah, well, the show's not till eight o'clock at night, so I got all day to play golf.
1: So it's good. Oh, that's no, perfect. You're perfect. I love it. I love it. Well, we're with talking to Jim McMahon. Uh, just uh, growing up uh, as a kid, watching this guy play football. By the way, we're pretty close in age, but just you know. So I felt, and I, he calls me kid, so I feel good about that. <laughs> G- growing up, first of all, sports wise, I know that you're a multi-sport athlete. You played baseball. You play. Did you play basketball?
2: Yep, played those three.
1: Did you just concentrate on football at the very end, or did you, did you go the distance with all three sports through high school?
2: Well, through high school, I played all three sports. And then uh, when I went to college, I, wanted, I, I still wanted to play baseball, and that was always my first love. <clears throat> That's how I choose, chose a college to go to. I, I wasn't going anywhere that, where they said I couldn't play both sports. And of all the schools I went to, there was only two that said I could play both sports, and that was Brigham Young University or Nevada, Las Vegas. And Nevada, Las Vegas was my last recruiting trip that year. So right. when I got home from Vegas. I said, Pops, I am going to Vegas. And he said, no, you're not, son. It's not, it's not a big enough school. I said, Pops, listen to me. Listen to what they just offered me. I said, a house, car, money, easy job at the casino.
1: I love it. Back in the yeah. Well,
2: the, I would have been in trouble with strippers, either one.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wouldn't have worked out. There's, I'm glad. I'm glad. To see that your dad. Yeah, your said, dad's no, very wise.
2: It's not big enough, and uh, I ended up going to uh, Brigham Young, and and uh, I I did get to play baseball a little bit my freshman year. Throwing the ball from the outfield, throwing it from the pocket are, are two different things, and and my shoulder problems were just about to start up, so I, I needed to make a decision, and since football was my scholarship, that was the last time we got to play baseball.
1: Talking to Jim McMahon, number nine. Uh, just uh, one of the greatest guys I've ever met. He spends uh, time mowing, cutting his grass every once in a while in his thong, and that's another story. <laughs> uh, we'll get to that later because that's a, I think that's a whole segment itself. But obviously, knowing and loving from the Chicago Bears days in college, you decide on BYU. You've told me the story of wives. Obviously, there was a coach, you know, Steve Young, and you have Ty Detmer. You know, who was it that really inf- that was a big influence you, quarterback wise, and sort of your mentor?
2: Well, when I first got there, uh Gifford Nielsen was a senior at the time, and then Mark Wilson was a sophomore so those are the two guys that were ahead of me when I got in uh learned a lot from both of them. I learned a lot from our coach, Doug Scoville, who was our offensive coordinator.
1: That's the guy right that's learned, the guy you're yes, told me. I learned more from that
2: guy than anybody, any coach that I've had throughout the professional ranks and and even the other. You know, the other coaches I've ever been with. This so, guy was un- unbelievably, uh, imaginative and, uh, and fun, fun to be around.
1: You, you went to, you were a junior in, in, in college, right? And then you left.
2: No, I was there all five years. I went, uh, I had to redshirt a year. I played my first two years. My freshman year, I was the punter on the varsity team, and I was the third string quarterback. And then our first teamer got hurt in like the fourth game, so I became the second team quarterback. Okay, but I, I was still the punter. And then uh, my second year, uh, Mark Wilson and I uh, split time. I ended up beating him out in the, at, towards the end of the year. I was the first sophomore QB to make off conference, and then they redshirted me after that. What? Yeah. So then Mark Wilson got to play his last two years, and I watched. Or he wow. got to play his last year, and then I, I had two years after after he was done. Right,
1: okay. But you, gra- you recently, because I was at your house when you were doing your online courses, uh, obviously you recently got put in the Hall of Fame at BYU, but you, you said you had to finish some courses, right? You, weren't you finishing some things to, to wind oh,
2: yeah. up? Yeah, yeah. I had to finish up four classes. Um, I yeah. still don't know how I did it, yeah. but... Uh, <laughs> You know that's that's tough doing homework when you're 55. That sucks.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. That's not good. I
2: hated it when I was 18. I yeah. certainly did like it when I was 55. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I got it done. I got <laughs> I finally got you know into their hall and and put up on the stadium. So I was glad to get that done before Coach Evers had passed.
1: I love. No, no, that's good. That's good. And so finally went in. Your folks got to see you put in the Hall of Fame. Obviously, it was a requirement. I think you told me that we had you had to. Finish that up before they put you in the Hall of Fame. So that was a big night. Let's talk about we're in Mississippi. Walter Payton spent oh, yeah. his years growing up, and and I, I want to talk about about sweetness and what it was like to uh, hand the ball off to him and be in the huddle with him. And obviously, he's missed, and I've gotten to know his brother over the years, Eddie. And uh oh, yeah, and just, Eddie's fun. Yeah, just love the whole family. So uh, playing with Walter, obviously playing with the Bears. Uh, the 85 Bears, obviously, there's, there's you guys were rock stars. You had a number one video. You had records. Yeah, I mean, you guys were, you guys were, oh, you guys were, you know, to me, I, I've always felt like you were the Mick Jagger of, of football in that you were that well-known by the world. And uh, that 85 Bears team, obviously, arguably the greatest team ever ever. Um, I want I want you to take us in the huddle. I remember there was a story you talking about. Uh, there was a record you guys were playing the Dolphins, I think, and they were the only oh, undefeated yeah. team, right? And you were with Sweetness, and you you got you got in trouble for something, so you didn't start, right? Or were you hurt? There's a story. I uh, that- I I'd, I'd, I'd
2: missed one game, one day of practice that week, and he was, uh, you know, Mike was a stickler for. And it only related to me. If I missed practice, I couldn't play. But everybody else did the same thing, and they got to play. But yeah, yeah you were. Anyway, in it trouble. was a, it was a Monday night down in um, down in Miami, and you know it was a big hype game. You know we're we're twelve and zero, and they the Dolphins. You know don't want us to ruin their re- perfect nineteen seventy two right. record or whatever. Course. So a lot of hype during the game. And Walter Payton was going for his, uh, I believe it was his ninth or tenth hundred yard game in a row. Which was going to be a record at that time. Like, I believe he could have ran for 300 yards that night. Their their defense defensive line was not that good. I think they were worst worst against the rush in the whole league. But we didn't we didn't run the ball. I mean, we didn't we weren't running the football because we got behind early. And then I think Mike panicked a little, started throwing it around, and and we were not a throwing football team. Right. We were a running team. Right. And so my job that night was just trying to keep keep track of Walter's yards. I wanted to make sure that he got that record that he deserved. <laughs> and so with about six minutes to go, Vicker decides to put me in the game. And we're down 14 Wait, points. wait,
1: we're in the fourth quarter now, so he decides, and you're down 14. Oh, yeah.
2: We're down 14 points. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm just trying to keep, keep track of Walter's yards. And I'm, I'm figuring Walter's got about some, somewhere between 70 and 80 yards, I think he has. <laughs> uh, and uh, so when I get in the game, Vicka says, all right, you're in. He goes, this is what we're gonna do. He gives me a pass play. <laughs> so I go into the huddle and I said, Boys, look, I said, We're twelve and oh. I said, We're already in the playoffs. We have home field advantage locked up. I said, This game doesn't mean a damn thing. I said, Let's get this man the record that he deserves. Love it. And and to the man they all went, Hell yeah, let's do it. And so <laughs> as I got to the line of scrimmage, Dick knew I didn't call the pass play and he was, you know, irate. He's trying to He's cussing me up and down. I hand the ball to Walter. He busts up there for maybe 15 yards. You know, they're rushing three, dropping eight. It's easy running. <laughs> you know, we had one timeout left, so Dick burns the timeout, and I have to go talk to him now. And he's, you know, he was so upset at me, he had no idea Walter was even going for a record that night. You know, he was just, what the hell are you doing? You, right. I gave you this play. This, I said, Mike, look, we don't have anything in our pass offense that gets us that many yards unless you, you just throw it deep. And I said, they're dropping eight guys. We got, we got no pass offense to that. I said, now Walter only needs about you know, 10, 15 yards for his record. Right. And he had no idea what the hell I was talking about because he was so mad at me. And then it finally clicked in, and he says, okay, look, this is, he goes, we're going to get him as record, but first we're going to do this. And he gives me another pass play. So I go back in the huddle and I said, boys, you know, it's really going to hit the fan now, but you know, we're going to run this damn thing again. And he everybody said, Let's do it. So I get up to the line and now he he definitely knows I didn't call the play. And he tried (laughs) to throw his clipboard, he tried to throw his headset at me, but the headset's clipped to his side so it bounces back, hits him in the chest. I mean, it was just it was kinda funny. (laughs) But I gave it to Walter, he got his he busted up there for another ten or fifteen, he got his record and I said, All right, now let's try to win this game. But, you know, we didn't do it, but he got his record and
1: and that's what I was really worried about. Well, the state of Mississippi loves you even more for that because obviously, Walter, it was a uh, golden child and an amazing man, and obviously missed. Uh, and what an impact you made. So, I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to take a break right now. We're with number nine, one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game, uh, Jim McMahon. I'm Steve Azar. You're inside of Mississippi Minute. Uh, stand by. Do you like this? Comes around. Baby, I, am gonna be good, love you. What is your name? What is it?
0: Super Talk Mississippi. Number one in the Magnolia State for news, weather, sports, and talk that matters to you. Don't you forget it. Super Talk Mississippi. The Super Talk app and supertalk.fm. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Everybody, I'm Steve Azar inside of Mississippi Minute. We're in a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, with the great Jim McMahon. Mac is telling us all sorts of stories now, and i got to shut up and get out of his way and, and so you guys can hear him because they're a lot, a lot better come from his mouth than me. We're going to talk about uh, the go-to-the-Super Bowl because I was one of the guys that bet. On, I was in college, and I bet on the fridge to score because the odds were like 20-1 to 1 or whatever. Obviously, he scored early. You know, 200 bucks back then it was like a gazillion dollars. And so I was very excited. But I was upset that, you know, Walter didn't get to score. Sort of take me through the Super Bowl. It was a blowout. You know, like, or did you go in knowing it? You know, you know you can be too oh. overconfident. Tell me about sort of the psyche. Oh, no, psyche. no,
2: we weren't, we weren't overconfident. But we knew there was no way they were going to beat us. And we had already played them the second, I think it was the second game of the year, we played them in Chicago. So we, we kind of had a good feel for them. Uh, we really wanted to get Miami back. You know that was, we were kind of bummed that they beat Miami, but they deserved to be in the Super Bowl because they did beat Miami. Right. So it was just selfish on our part that we wanted to face them again, or I, I certainly did because I didn't get the chance to to
1: play against. To them. play them for real, right? You, you came so, in six minutes, right?
2: <laughs> their whole focus that week, the New England Patriots, they talked about it. They said we, if we stop Walter Payton, we win. That's that was their mentality. And so that was their whole focus. And that's why everybody else on the offense, uh, was able to do what we did because they were so focused on Walter. I mean, anybody's that's seen any, any game film from that, from that game, everywhere Walter went, there was four or five red shirts chasing him. I think we, we could have gained the ball a hundred times. I don't think he would have scored because that's, that was how much focus they had on him. Right. And I think he was a, a bigger factor because he didn't score. He, that's why everybody else was so successful. They, they were so keyed up to stop Walter that everybody else, they forgot about. I tell people this all the time. I said, the perfect example, I said, the start of the second half, I believe we were backed up in our end zone, where I go on the four-yard line or something, and we run a play-action pass. And you can see seven of their guys chasing Walter. They <laughs> thought he had the ball. And Willie's running up the middle of the <laughs> field. open, and that's the one I threw down the middle. And, right. You know, had to throw another yard, he might have went 96 yards for the touchdown. I think he should have scored anyway, but. Of course he should have. Uh, but that's, that's the kind of impact that he had on that game. I mean, they, wherever he went, they were going to chase him, and so we just, you know. It
1: left you open. I openings.
2: still think he could have, you know, maybe tried a little bit harder, uh, later in the game, because, you know, during that game, you don't think about stuff like that during the game. Right. You know, you're thinking about winning a game. You know, I was I was able to score two touchdowns. That wasn't a big deal to me. I would have rather thrown a touchdown pass and run it, but right. you know that's that's just the way it is. Extra and, hit. Uh, Took I an found out hit. later that he was, you know, that he was up. He never said a word to me in the, the next three years that we played together, uh, or two years. He didn't say he never said a word to me about that. Yeah, and
1: unbelievable guy, unbelievable family. Yeah, he
2: was just a just a really great teammate. I, you know, never said a word to me. Never said give me the ball. You know, none of that. None of that. Stuff, right? I mean, he just he was he was a, a professional. Yeah, you know he scored a touchdown. He ball to the referee, right? Um, act like you've been there, and, and he'd been there quite a bit. And he was just a, a joy to play with. The strongest man I've ever met in my life.
1: Yeah, I mean, his was thighs great. were like looked like truck. Well, you know, it's tractor five, trailer tires. Five
2: nine or five ten, two hundred and eight pounds of rock. Yeah, kind of yeah, was. yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. Just <laughs> just amazing to see, and what's what's still. I'm amazed at it, is he only missed one game in thirteen years. Everybody knew we were going to run the ball, right. and we were still able to run the ball. So right. when they know you're going to run it and you can still run it. That's a credit to those guys up front, and that's I think it's a shame that none of those guys are in the Hall of Fame.
1: I mean, you're telling that. me none of them are. There's only
2: one guy from the offense in the Hall of Fame. You know that's a tragedy.
1: You were even bigger than being this incredible football team, arguably the greatest ever. But you guys transcended it. You, you, you brought people into the sport with your personalities. And speaking right. of I've personalities. I've
2: talked to a lot of people over the years that said, oh, we didn't even like football until you guys. Exactly. You? I mean, we had a blast. Oh, I know. I mean, it, was, it was fun because, well, it was, it's a lot funner when you win. That's for damn sure. But, well, no, that's true. That's true. Not yeah. only on the field, we had fun off the field with each other. We had a lot of crazy you know, personalities, and Dick uh, could kind of let us go.
1: Let's talk about the video uh, in your song. The name of it was The Super Bowl Shuffle. Yeah, this and was
2: brought this idea was brought to us by uh, Willie Go and a friend of his. This happened um, I think it was late September when they first talked to us about it.
1: And this is the year of this is this is so you've got to go through a season and not only you're going to have a song and you you guys are <laughs> that confident and you know right this is out during yeah, the well, year
2: this, They taped the video the day after we lost to Miami on Monday night. But they did the record a couple weeks before, three weeks before that. And uh, so they came to us and said, you know, we have this idea of raising some money to feed the homeless on Thanksgiving and Christmas. And we're all like, yeah, it's great. It's it's great for us to do that for the city. So we all decided that, you know, the guys that did want to do it, uh, we said, yeah, we'll we'll do a record. That's all they came to us with was a record. And so (laughs) we did the record. And now they come back two, three weeks later and said, "Okay, you have to do a video." <laughs> and we're like, "Wait a minute, that's not part of the deal." Right? <laughs> the, and that wasn't part of the deal. So Walter Payton and I told them, "We're we're not going to go to the taping." Uh, Willie and his uh, his guy came to Walter and I and said, "Look, if you guys don't do your parts, we're going to have to sue you." Wow! <laughs> we're yeah. getting threatened by our own teammate to get a, to do this stupid thing, but uh, which you ended, we ended up doing? Up working okay. Yeah, yeah. We ended up doing it. After practice one day in the racquetball court of Hallis Hall, they had a little <laughs> thing set up, and so they just superimposed this into the. You're video. kidding! You're kidding! Yeah, the magic, the magic of television. Know so they know they had the What magic you saw band. was a pissed off white man trying yeah. to <laughs> do whatever he was doing because I was not happy with it.
1: <laughs> We're talking to Jim McMahon, number nine. Take me back through the headband. You always wear the headband, but when did you start wearing uh, the commissioner's name on uh, on it?
2: No, I started wearing a headband in college. Right. Or you, take, you take that helmet off and on as much as you do in practicing games, it just rips the hell out of your forehead and your skin. So that's the, the only reason I started wearing it in the beginning. And then uh, I continued wearing it through college and then into the pros. And now we're in the playoffs in 1985, and Adidas uh, was who was my sponsor at the time. They wanted me to start wearing Adidas headbands, so I did. And nobody said a word to me all season long. I wore that headband. Walter Payton had his Ruse headband on. I mean, so now they tell me I can't wear the headband for the playoff game. Out of the blue, they just say, "Oh, you know, you're not going to be able to wear that. or you are going to be fine?" And I said, well, "For what? I've been wearing it all year. I haven't I haven't had a problem. What's the right. problem?" I ended up wearing it in the game. They fined me five thousand dollars, and at that time, five grand was a lot of money for me. Right. And so the very next week, I'm thinking, well damn, if they give me five grand, they're really going to get me this week. So I, I decided not to wear the Adidas headband, but I, I wore a plain white one. And as I'm sitting there just prior to kickoff, you know, those 10 minutes you run in the locker room just before yeah. the kickoff, <laughs> um, I grabbed a pin and I just started thinking, what can I put on here to, <laughs> to make a statement? And I ended up just riding Roselle, yeah. <laughs> who was the commissioner at the time. Right. So as I'm coming out of the tunnel, John Madden would to be doing our game, and he loved doing the Bear games. And I just kind of lifted my helmet up a little so he could see it. And he just, he almost fell out of his boots and was laughing so hard. But uh, that was prominently displayed throughout the game. And yes, it was. I did, I did not get fined. Wow. Uh, P. Roseau called and thanked me for the free advertising.
1: Yeah, actually. I, did, did he really? <laughs> I love it.
2: Now we're going to the Super Bowl. I'm thinking, okay, what, what can I wear in the Super Bowl? And Adidas were really wanted me to wear a headband. And I said, you know, they find me five grand for the playoffs, the Super Bowl, the most they can find me, I'm thinking in my own mind, is twenty five to thirty thousand dollars. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> and Adidas had offered me fifty grand to wear it. So I'm You're thinking, thinking, all right, I'm yeah. gonna I'm making money either way. <laughs> so I'm gonna figure out a way to wear this.
0: Right, right. <laughs> and
2: so for those two weeks prior from the championship game to the Super Bowl, I get a hold of the rule book somehow. And I start, you know, going through the rule book, looking through, and I'm thinking, wait, these guys, what they're doing to me is wrong according to these rules. And so I go, all right, I got them now. So I get sent probably thousands of headbands from around the country. I look you know, just with people's names on them, you know, Fred, Joe, <laughs> uh, whatever. And I decide, I decide I'm going to put charities on. Oh, they, I love it. They, they find me for wearing charities. They're going to look like you know, big asses, you know, so I'm right. like, I think I got him here. So the whole pregame warm-up, I start, <clears throat> I have the Adidas headband on. I'm I'm going through all my warm-up drills, doing everything. The Head referees chasing me around, saying, look, Mac, I cannot let you on the field with this headband on. I said, I know, I know. Follows me around, follows me around. <laughs> now we'll come to the National Anthem. There's Walter, there's me, here's the head referee. <laughs> as soon as that anthem's over, I went to put my helmet on, and he says, I, he grabs me He says, I cannot let you on the field. And I pulled it down around my neck. And you can see it prominently in every picture.
1: That's right. It's on uh, your neck. That's right. On my
2: neck. And the, the ref just laughed at me. He looked at me. He laughed. He goes, you know what? You're right. <laughs> and so I put the first charity on, I think, was uh, juvenile diabetes, I think, is what I first wore because my attorney's Great son calls. was a, a diabetic. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, from there, I just went to all the charities that I had. I right. Had Children's Miracle, Miracle Network. I went to uh, POWMIAs. I had, you know, who you name the charity I wore. Right. From every series I had a different one. I ended up not getting fined. I ended up making my $50,000 from Adidas. So it was a, and, a and clear win. A clear, clear win. I said, see, you guys made a big stink about this about right. nothing. Right. And now you look like idiots because I got paid and you can't find me. It's fantastic. The very next year, there was a whole slew of new rules
1: in that rule book. Yeah, we're talking to Jim McMahon, number nine, the great, telling stories, and we're going to get into some of my favorite stories. I do have a question to ask you before we go into the break. This being the birthplace of American music, I'll ask all our guests this because I'm so proud of this in Mississippi and its incredible history of music and art. I want you to tell me who we're going to go into the break with. We're going to go with Bo Diddley or the band Perry? Bo Diddley. Okay, all right. Stand by, number nine is... On hold with us. This is In a Mississippi Minute. I'm Steve Azar. Oh,
0: Super talk Mississippi, on your radio, your computer, and on your smart device.
1: I just kind of stream it online. Yeah, online. Listen online every day.
0: Listen live at supertalk.fm and download the Supertalk app to take Mississippi's best talk with you wherever you go. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Supertalk Mississippi. We're
1: all alone. I don't know whether I'm singing or swimming with you everybody. I'm Steve Azar. We are with the great Jim McMahon, number nine, in a Mississippi Minute. I used to do the anthem a lot in Green Bay. Brett and I, Favre and I did this record together called Born With It uh, for the NFL, for this record that they put out. Got to know him and his family and was at all the home games the year of 96 when you guys won the Super Bowl. I'd go there, and you'd be doing drop kicks. I never saw you throw a football, ever. Zero, ever. You'd just be practicing your drop kicks, and it was amazing. You could bust it from from deep. And so uh I'd go there, and I never said anything to you, so I still hadn't met you at the time. So all these years go by. I think we meet at Gino Toretta's uh, charity event in Miami, and the rest is history. We've done a 1,000 of them. You've been one of our main beautiful guests every year at the Delta Soul every year, and we became great friends. But I said, Mac, will you be in my music video of Catfish Christmas? He said, kid, I'll be glad to be in it. And so I remember... Uh, we were, we were there with our, our buddy, uh, former U.S. ski team mem- member, Terry Ahola. And I remember Terry going like, you know, Mac may, uh, he, this may wear him out. He was so concerned. And all of a sudden I go, well, we just need to get, you know, we need to get done telling the director and all that. And all of a sudden we're in the truck and we're all in our boxers or whatever. And you going like, okay, everybody, I want everybody to focus today. And you you just became the quarterback in the huddle. It's going to be a long one. We're going to get it done. Then we're going to celebrate at the end. And I said, all right, Mac's ready to roll. So we go and we shoot the video and then we get on the road. And you you said you have not been to an NFL game in years. So you went with us and I walk into the locker room with you and I'm doing the anthem. It's Sunday night football. I'm pretty sure it's Sunday night at that time. Mm -hmm. And they say, Steve, you can't go on the after this. You got to leave the field. But they didn't see you with me. And so because they knew I liked to stay on the field during the games. So we walk in and there's Brett and he's getting taped up or something. He's on the thing. And the trainers see you and they run back and they grab these pictures of you posing with basically no clothes or no clothes at all. I can't remember. (laughs) And they say, oh, my God, Mac, we still got them. And Brett looks at us and goes, why are you two together? <laughs> and I said, oh, and you go, hey, kid, we just got through shooting this music video. And, uh, done it. and he goes, well, why wasn't I in it? I said, well, uh, your, your agent Buzz didn't reach out to me. And so we go on the field, and you had this wolf, this jacket with some sort of, well, you got a wolf, a wolf oh, on my, your head. My coyote coat, yeah. Coyote coat. And we walk out there, and all of a sudden, people see me, and then they see you. And the place... For a place that you, that did not like you until you went to Green Bay, because all the, the, the misery you put on the Packers while you were at the Bears, the place erupts like, once again, Mick Jagger is behind me. Uh, football, that's the only way I can explain it. Another example of why you transcended the sport to all fans of all kinds. Obviously, Green Bay is so respectful of football and players, and their own, of course, but there you were. And uh, we get to the sidelines and I go do the anthem and I hear <laughs> I hear one of the guys go, hey, we're good. You guys can be on the sidelines because they didn't realize that you were with me. But that was a great night. You were great in the video. And I just wanted to bring that up and tell that story. But now I want to get into how you feel compelled to always give back. the the Our warriors, our soldiers has something that's really struck a chord with you in your life. I've i have not only seen you uh, do things for them, but I've seen you spend time with them, hang with them, invite them. You know, our wounded to your events. Why? Why our troops and why are soldiers? And why do you feel so compelled to be involved?
2: I, you know, I really don't know. I got I got involved uh, basically when I was a younger kid. Uh, I was growing up during the Vietnam War, and I lived in San Jose, California, at the time. And a lot of guys coming back from NAM would come through San Francisco. And so every, you know, every time the news was on, I'd see our troops coming home and I'd see protesters and people burning our flag, people mm-hmm. spitting on these guys. And I never understood that. Right. Thinking, you know, these guys, these guys don't want to be there. They didn't go over there on their own. They were sent there by our, by our government to you know protect our fight for our freedoms and to treat them the way they got treated I just never understood it so I always had a uh a soft spot I guess if you want to call it that for for the military and what they do for us because we couldn't do what we do in this country without the sacrifices they've all made Absolutely and I understand that I get it and I visit with them and I when I go to campus you know, when I I was in Iraq when they hung Saddam I got to, I've, I've I've done so many great things with the with the military and it's all because of the respect that I have and and for what I know that they do for this country.
1: It's amazing. Well, well it goes beyond anything I've ever seen. So, I mean, I've gotten to know more uh heroes from our country because of you because they're with you. And uh, you know, and they some of them are missing limbs and it's just got to be so tough on their families and you know, they didn't sign up for that part. They they signed up to go protect our country, but they come home sometimes half a man physically
2: not only physically but mentally from what oh, they've seen over oh, there and the horrors just the horrors of war i mean right i, right. I was only there for you know, what 10 days over there in iraq back in the I six days whatever it was and you know we weren't right in the middle of the fighting i mean we were we had different bases here and there but we did land in downtown baghdad the day they hung Saddam. and that wow. was a, that was a war zone I mean, we we're, yeah. were hovering outside of the city in choppers watching these mortars going off, fires everywhere. We went with a special kind of a, it wasn't a regular USO group, that was for sure. We went with a woman that had been there for, I don't know, 20, 30 times already. She knew every general and colonel that we, we encountered. We went to bases that the USO just doesn't go. I mean, we we hit some really cool spots. Just very interesting to be and oh, to yeah. see, what, see a war zone like that in real time. And to see the good that we were doing over there, right, I mean none of that got none of that got reported back over here about all the infrastructure that we supplied you know the the schools, the hospitals, the things that we' built over there. I mean none of that got reported unbelievable to see it you know and then I remember new year 's eve we 're getting mortared. so we 're at I forget what base we were at, but it happened to be a transportation battalion, and they were all from illinois, and I was with Kevin Butler, our kicker at the time. Mm-hmm. So as we go into the, the bunker, there's a huge Chicago Sea with blue and orange all over the place. I mean, it was actually pretty cool. And then, unfortunately, we only had uh, grape juice for New Year's <laughs> Eve. You know, the, the Americans are the only ones that <laughs> that follow the rules in wartime, I guess. So only the Brits and the Aussies had the beer.
1: You didn't have Coors Light? I just can't imagine. We didn't have
2: nothing on New Year's. That's the first New Year's <laughs> in a long time that I've been a little sober.
1: <laughs> We're talking to Jim McMahon, number nine. Uh, one of the greatest quarterbacks and men to ever play the sport of football in the NFL and in college at BYU. You obviously have been an advocate and sort of one of the poster childs for concussions and where it's come to now. Take me through how it affected you and, you know, sort of how you deal with it and just the whole mess of it all and, and where we are now in the NFL and, and all the way to Pee Wee, you know, all the way down to Pee Wee. Oh, yeah. that's Well, I
2: think that's where it's, it all starts. I mean, I Unfortunately, a lot of people are not going to want to hear this, but I think you've got to eliminate young kids from playing that sport or or playing that sport with with full pads on because it's they are not physically ready to do that uh, right. They max their heads they're physically not strong enough to be doing what they're doing, especially these little you know five six seven year old kids I mean they could barely hold their own heads up and now they're out there with a helmet and they look like bubble heads and the the doctor that works with me in New York he sees hundreds of kids a year that have no business playing football let alone any other sport because their necks and their their heads are so out of whack but parents don't want to hear that you know every parent thinks their kids are going to be a professional right. athlete of course and it, it's it's just unfortunate that they push them push and push and uh you know i, I think they've got to eliminate kids don't let them play uh contact sport or football anyway until they're at least a junior in high school because by then their bodies are physically uh, strong enough to withstand what's going to happen to them and two years of high school ball is plenty colleges will find you they will find talent no matter where you are and so two years of of good a good play in high school that should be plenty to be able to go on that's going to save you almost 10 years of head trauma and i think that will help you know, you can still play the games, learn the fundamentals. If play flag else, football or whatever
1: until then, right? Correct. Yeah.
2: Learn learn how to play the game. And then once you get, you know, obviously big enough and strong enough to, to put on a helmet, then you get after it. But
1: Yeah, you're saying the uh, brain's not developed yet. And the so brain it, it is, is not developed, and the, next,
2: the right. necks are not strong enough. Right. You see, you cannot have head trauma without having neck trauma also. Yeah. Because your head's connected to your neck. So when your head gets, you know, when your brain gets pushed into the side of your head because you've hit something, you know, your neck's taking that trauma too. Right. And that's my my biggest problem right now is is my neck is so so out of whack that it's, uh, you know, I've got to go back about every two to three months to get another adjustment just to keep my the spinal fluid flowing properly throughout my body. Unbelievable. Because when it doesn't flow properly, it just pools on your brain and it eats away at the brain. That's what CTE is caused by. That's what. My doctor has he studied this for the last 25 years. He understands what's going on with the brain. He's tried to talk to the NFL about it. They don't want to hear about it uh, because he's a, so he's a chiropractor by trade, but he's he studied this, this phenomenon for 25 years. Right. And I, I told Roger Goodell this. I told the NFL PA about this guy. And as soon as I mentioned the word chiropractor, they said, oh, no, no, no. We, have, we just gave Harvard's neurosurgeons $100 million for this, for this uh, research. And I said, "Yeah, for the research this guy's already done for 25 years." Right, they just didn't want to hear. It. Yeah, they just yeah. don't. They don't care. Basically, yeah. they, don't, they don't care. He makes stupid statements like uh, cannabis is bad for the NFL players and it's addictive. What about the OxyComs and the percocets and the vicodin and the toradol they shove down these guys' throats? Right, that's that's proven to be addictive. Proven to be. To kill people. Well, it's killing people in hundreds of thousands. Cannabis has never killed
1: anybody, so. Right, right. Well, we're talking to Jim McMahon, number nine, in a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. We'll be right back. Yeah.
0: We're very curious to know where it is come from. Broadcasting to the world. Live from Mississippi in the U.S.A. Super Talk Mississippi at supertalk.fl in a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar right here on Super Talk Mississippi
1: when I was 16 Opportunity grew on trees. I hey everybody, I'm Steve Azar. We are with done. the great Jim McMahon, Mac, as we call him, number nine, uh, 85 Bears, uh, obviously known by the world, but uh, I've known, gotten to know Mac from, from the after football years, and I love him like a brother. Mac, I appreciate you being on the show. I want you to, the stories, I've heard so many great stories and laughing so hard, but uh, there's one story that I remember you telling. With you and Dave Archer, I think you were playing for the Eagles. I got to get this right, and you were obviously always sneaking out. And they had a guard at the door, and it involved sheets. It involved him. Just I want you to. Do you mind telling this story? I just I love hearing it. Oh, the
2: one the uh, Halloween story when I yeah. kind of snuck out the room. Okay. Yeah,
1: just the way you had him sort of like the Michelin Man. I think
2: right. We were uh, we were playing up in Seattle. It was it was a Halloween night or the night. Halloween, and then the next day we played. So they were having a big, uh, a huge, uh, extravagant party downtown at one of the um, one of the malls. You know, all the stores were closed up but they had like a huge costume uh, Halloween party. So we hear about it as we're, you know, first getting into town. So Archer and I, we ended up, as we're going, to, he goes, well, what are we going to wear? They said it's a big, extravagant party. <laughs> we stopped at 7-Eleven. And we got these two plastic masks. I think it was like Cookie Monster and and somebody else. So we just put those masks on. Went to the party, had a great time, and then we go, "Hey, we got to get back for the, we got to get back for bed check." So we get back to the hotel, got got all checked in, everything's good. And then uh, Arch says, "Well, what are you doing?" I said, "I'm going back to that party." And he (laughs) said, "Well, how you how you going to get out?" Because I was I think I was on the third floor, (laughs) and uh, I said, "I'm just going out the window." I said, I said,
1: yeah. Security out front, together. right?
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. The security was always out front of my door, so I could never go out the door. <laughs> so we're on the third floor. So we have Billy Joe Tolliver come over. He brought the sheets, and then Pickle brings his sheets. Mark Lassick. <laughs> so we had a whole bunch of sheets, and we we got we put Archer in, and we start rolling Archer from these sheets. And he did. He looked like the Michelin Man. So now I get now I get on the other end of the sheet, and he lowers me da- out the window and just starts, you know uncorking himself <laughs> as I'm as I'm lowering down <laughs> and there's people walking in the hotel and I land probably 10 feet from the front door of the hotel <laughs> everybody's looking up and I'm coming down I still got my mask on I don't want anybody to know it was <laughs> me <laughs> and I hit the ground I took off running and, and uh, I went back to that party I had a good time I got back in the morning and the security had finally gone to sleep but it's, I game all day, little, right?
1: it's game yeah, day right it's game day yeah it's game day okay. I got
2: all these little pieces of paper in my door because they, they used to do that, so they knew if you opened the door, all the paper would fall out. So wow. I see all these paper in my door, and I just start banging on their door. I know where their room is, and they opened it up. They had just gone to sleep. And I go, hey, what's all this paper doing on my door? So they looked at my door and looked at me, and they go, how'd you get out? <laughs> I said, no, I didn't get out. I just put all the paper back. I'm just messing <laughs> with it, But I was just getting back in. <laughs>
1: I love that story more. I think that's that's the one I remember. I just you pictured and you said you tied the sheets together and you had you had them all wrapped around Arch and he was turning a little bit and corking himself until mm-hmm. lowering you down. I mean that's that's in making an effort to have some fun and that's what you guys did. Obviously, uh, Jimmy Mac, I I can't thank you enough. You, if you guys are in Vegas uh, over the next, how long are you going to be there, Mac? Do you just say uh,
2: our show runs from tonight and four nights a week. And it goes until the end of April.
1: Okay, so he'll be there. So uh, if you guys are in Vegas, check Caesars Palace out. And check uh, Jimmy Mack and uh, Terrell and who else you said? Uh, you Jose Canseco. And and Canseco. That's great. Check him out. Y'all go check his, their show out and hang out with him. And uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I'll see you uh, at the Caddyshack probably next, right, Mac. That's probably the, the beginning of uh, uh, charity, celebrity, uh, charity golf season, right?
2: Yeah, but I, I don't think I can make it, though, because that's, that's during my show.
1: Oh, oh, it's in March. That's at the end of March. So I'll see you at the MAM then, probably. No, I, I'm
2: not going to be able to make MAM this year, brother. I'm oh missing all, all the old, yeah. Because okay. I, I do have the show every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday.
1: So. Well, you're not missing Monday after. I mean, you're not missing the Delta Soul because you're not allowed to. No, that's in June. Yeah, see, he's we got that on that. his calendar. I love that. Well, we've been talking <laughs> to the great Jim McMahon, number nine. I'm Steve Azar. It's been an, In a Mississippi Minute, all 60. I think we went over 60. I can't thank you enough, Mac. I love you, brother. All right, brother. See you soon. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time.